I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. It's a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking, no flying saucers. But never mind, this is going to be fun. Welcome to Encounter 54, No Alternative. Alternative 3, and a subsequent novel based on the television script, was an example of a piece of television fiction having a greater impact from having been and continuing to be misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misrepresented by many within the paranormal and conspiracy cultures. It was initially presented as an episode of Science Report, which wasn't really a real TV show, um, as far as I can tell. Uh, and it was produced by Anglia Television for the independent ITV network in the United Kingdom. It was broadcast on June 20th, 1977. However, the producers intended the air date to be April 1st, a date prominently featured in the end credits, sort of giant letters. This was fitting, given the nature of the documentary and the fact that its creators intended it to be a hoax. The delay was the result of labor unrest and union action, an incredibly common occurrence in British television during the late 1970s. This documentary detailed an investigation into a supposed brain drain in the UK, which saw top scientists dropping off the grid. It uh, features the music of Brian Eno, really, um, and that's very cool, and a talking head segment that sets up the whole thing. They never told us much, just that Robert, my brother, had got this grant to do some kind of work out there. That's the last we heard. It's not knowing that's the worst. Yes, I realize that the dialogue is coming out of one channel and everything else is sort of mixed in between the two. Um, that's the way it is. Sorry about that. It, uh, it works better in some other scenes. So the host of Science Report presents a bunch of footage collected for their story that they started to do on this exit of scientists and experts from, from Britain with the reasons for scientists leaving the UK, mostly centering around issues of research funding. When digging deeper, however, they discovered something odd. Anne Clark, Robert Patterson, and Brian Pendlebury. Just three of the 400 names compiled for our projected science report, Brain Drain from Britain. From this office, our researchers began checking through every one of them. We were looking for patterns. Who were the people leaving this country? What were their reasons? And what were their feelings about it afterwards? But out of those 400 names, it became apparent that 24 had disappeared without trace. Some alone, others with their families. Where did they go? And why? And indeed, how? What, if anything, was the common factor? Some of the scientists had been killed in suspicious accidents. One of those scientists, who worked at a radio telescope site at Jodrell Bank, had been desperate to get a videotape to a friend. What was on that tape? But what of the videotape, which Ballantyne had been so anxious to get safely to his friend, John Henry. Apparently nothing. No picture, just the ceaseless noise of space. No different from countless other tapes in the archives of radio astronomy. There was, we were assured, no solution here to the mysteriously violent death of Sir William Ballantyne. So, they have a videotape that has nothing unusual about it, and then a mysterious American man calls the office, claiming to have known Ballantyne, the dead scientist. The reporter meets with the mysterious informant wearing a wire with a hidden camera filming the whole thing. Colin Benson? Yes, hello. 
Contracting a fatal case of measles, you know what I mean? Like Valentine. You, uh, you know what happened to him? I know why it happened. And I gotta get it on record before they find out I'm over here. Hey, who are they? Listen, let's just stick to me telling you what I have to tell you, okay? Okay, fine. This address tomorrow morning, 10.30. Bring everything you've got. Cameras, tape machines, witnesses. That's the kind of protection I need. I'll have everything for you there. The reporter and his camera crew go to the address the next day and find Harry, the contact. He doesn't remember the reporter now and violently attacks him and the camera crew. But there were other things going on that the production talks about. Drought was increasing around the world. Forest fires were destroying wooded areas. Food and water shortages loomed. The climate was moving toward what the host described as a radical change. Some scientists had worked to develop ways to address the impending crisis. Program makers talked to Carl Gersten. Dr. Carl Gersten, who had attended a meeting on the subject 20 years before in Huntsville, Alabama, a significant location for the U.S. space program. At the Huntsville, Alabama conference of 1957, my ideas were at last being taken seriously by a small group of senior physicists and government advisors. But by then, of course, it was too late. What was this with those people? Can you tell me what happened at Huntsville? The usual thing. The politicians come running to us as though we can reverse the course of nature. When we tell them we can't, they say, why didn't we do something earlier? When we tell them they prevented us, they start squabbling among themselves. (laughs) Was anything achieved by the conference? There was some discussion. Secret. Can you tell me anything about that? All, all very theoretical. Well, look, I can understand your reluctance. Look, all I'm prepared to say is there were three alternatives for discussion. The first two were crazy. Forget about them. The third alternative, maybe not so crazy. But I don't know whether anything was ever done about it. Can you tell me what it was? At the time that interview was filmed, Carl Gerstein refused to say anything further about Alternative 3. So that's the end of the first part of the episode, and the second part moves into a stranger area. Um, The strangest part of this much stranger area being the story of American astronaut Bob Grodin. Grodin had experienced psychological issues following his time in space five years before. Over a montage of NASA footage meant to represent Grodin's spacewalks, we get some more nice Brian Eno music. And then the host interviews Grodin by satellite. And the former astronaut seems amiable enough until this happens. Well, I was only trying you to... You trying to screw me? Is that what you're trying to do? you trying to screw me? Like that, like that dumb bastard Valentine? Is that what you're trying to do? Well, why me? I'm up there to do a job, man. That's all I was up there to do. I don't have to answer. Oh, hell. What's the matter with Sorry, this thing Jim, now? It's not this end. Somebody's pulled a switch somewhere. The satellite link goes down just as Grodin is starting to go off script. So Science Report sends Colin, the reporter, the location reporter, to the United States to find Bob Grodin. Over beers in Grodin's backyard, the reporter interviews him for hours. Then Grodin drinks more, moves from beer to bourbon, getting more and more drunk as the show progresses. He claims that Ballantyne, the British scientist, was murdered because of the material that was on the mysterious tape, even though the tape showed nothing, right? As the interview progresses, the Science Report correspondent gets Grodin to open up about his experiences on the moon. Okay, Bob, what did happen out there, the moon landing? Well, we had kind of a big disappointment. We didn't get there first. What do you mean? Those layer Apollos, they're just a smoke screen. They cover up what's really going on out there. This really is sort of straight up, you know, secret space program stuff. 
And then Groden goes on to explain what he and his crew discovered. Well, we came down the wrong place. And it was calling. Remember, we were on the line of milk one. You see, you're talking about men from Earth? Do you think that they need all that crap down in Florida to get two guys up there on, on a bicycle? The hell they do. You know, you know why we're there? To give them a good PR story for all the hardware that's united in this space. Now, we're nothing. Now, we're... Christ, we're nothing. You know why we're there? To keep you bumps happy. Stop you from asking questions about what, what the hell is really going on out there. Look, that's it. That, that's it. End the story. It turns out that the U.S. and the Soviet Union were cooperating in space activity. The show's inquiries along these lines came to nothing, with one expert, uh, G. Gordon Broadbent, saying he knew nothing of such cooperation beyond the well-publicized Apollo-Soyuz docking event. But he acknowledges that experts on U.S.-Soviet relations are puzzled by some things, especially the way that there hasn't been any nuclear war. The whole idea of mutually assured destruction, he explains, doesn't really make sense. And Professor Broadbent explains that he believes that an unknown factor has been behind the lack of annihilation. A high-level program involving space exploration cooperation could be part of it. But, on the other hand... We're not in the business of speculation. We're going to be using that sound clip a lot in the future, I assure you. So, what are the U.S. and the Soviets doing in space? The show speculates that one possibility is the development of spacecraft that could be launched from orbit or from the moon, allowing for more efficient travel. They've also uncovered evidence of U.S. and Soviet landings on the dark side of the moon. And they return to Dr. Carl Gersten, who has agreed to speak out about Alternative 3 in more detail. We had agreed at the Huntsville Conference that there was nothing we could do to cut either world population or the consumption of resources essential for survival on Earth. Alternative 3 was a much more limited option. It was an attempt to ensure that at least some of the human race survived the consequences. We were theorists, not technicians, but we realized we were talking about a kind of space travel which had only appeared in scientific fiction so far. What, you mean go to some other planet? I mean get the hell off this one whilst there's still time. So, who gets to go? It's a cross-section of human culture, from among the sciences, arts, and so on. And this brings us back around to the mysterious disappearances that launched the whole investigation. Similar things have happened around the world. Where, the presenter asks, have they gone? Well, the answer is Mars. What if Mars wasn't as inhospitable to human life as we'd been led to believe? What if there had been efforts to terraform Mars, to make it habitable? Meanwhile, something was happening in the Science Report production office. The woman who had been with Harry, the bizarre informer from the beginning of the program, called. She wanted the correspondent and a film crew to come see her immediately. Harry was gone, but they, the mysterious they, had promised he would be okay if she cooperated. The woman's terrified and hands over a circuit board that, when fitted to the right equipment, will allow the real message of the mysterious videotape from Professor Ballantyne, remember that, to become useful. They get it all hooked up, and they see the surface of Mars, and the radio transmissions of the scientists who are monitoring this footage, which is coming in from a probe. American and Russian voices report the atmospheric conditions are capable of supporting human life, and this recording was made in 1962. So this is Alternative 3, a human colony on Mars, a way to preserve humanity's best and brightest. The presenter closes, and it's a bit grim. Whether a human survival colony has already been established on Mars, or whether plans are still in preparation for its transportation from the moon to Mars, we don't know. But we put out this program tonight as a challenge to those who do know to tell us the truth. We regret if the 
implications of what you've seen are less than optimistic for the future of life on this planet. It has been our task, however, to present the facts as we understand them and to await the response. Good night. So, Alternative 3 was produced in the same style as news programs and documentaries of the time, a normal 1970s film stock, British film stock. It has an eerie air of realism to it, combined with a look and dialogue that is actually reminiscent of a 1970s Doctor Who story or an episode of In Search Of. And actually, speaking of 1970s Doctor Who stories, as I am wont to do, uh, this idea of of scientists, an elite cadre of scientists or, or an elite cadre of anybody taking humanity's best and brightest and evacuating somewhere because of impending ecological disaster it was sort of used two years in a row in 1974 uh, in Invasion of the Dinosaurs and in 1975 in the Ark in Space. Um, got a Pertwee one in 74 and a Tom Baker one in 75. We've got this idea going on. So this documentary featured actors, um, well-known actors, actors that were, you know, you could look them up in the British Actors Union directory. Uh, one of them, Shane Rimmer, uh, died last week. He'd been in a 1960s episode of Doctor Who, The Gunfighters. I'm, this is turning into a Doctor Who trivia show. But anyway, these are actors. They were listed in the credits, as was that April 1st date. So this is a hoaxy sort of thing. Um, or a, a gag. It's not a hoax. It's not pretending to be real. Doesn't you know? If people thought it was real, which many did, that doesn't really matter. But in his review of the Alternative Three DVD release uh, that came out uh, a while back, um, reviewer Peter Wright asserts that Alternative Three quote remains an exemplary illustration of how the documentary mode, albeit subverted, can challenge complacency. In this case, complacency was over climatological crises. Alternative 3 was sort of in the same mode as the Orson Welles' War of the Worlds radio broadcast, prompting dozens of calls, possibly not the tens of thousands later claimed, to television stations either decrying such a frivolous joke or demanding more information about this vast conspiracy. The effect of Alternative 3 on actual ecological activism is unclear. So, that's the TV presentation. It doesn't end there. It actually just starts there. What complicates everything is the fact that Leslie Watkins, a journalist and occasional thriller writer, in 1978 wrote a novel based on the program. So, now there's the TV program and a book. And there's also something that I think we'll call Notional Alternative 3 ideas that were not extensively or even at all discussed in the program or the book, but rather suggested by Alternative 3 and what it supposedly exposed. Now, the problem with Alternative 3 is that the original paperback got relatively little distribution in the United States, and after the mid to late 80s, it sort of disappeared, so print copies became hard to find. Still, it was more accessible than the actual television program, so when as we'll see later, in conspiratorial writings that talk about Alternative 3, they are almost exclusively talking about the book. So numerous pirated copies of the book would appear. We'll look at one in particular a bit later on. But what's nice for us is that in 2016, this appeared on Amazon. Alternative 3, the 1978 cult sci-fi classic republished with new material. Hooray! This edition was published through Amazon's CreateSpace service and put together by Graham Watkins, Leslie Watkins' son, with Leslie's permission. Leslie's retired and approaching 90 and living in New Zealand. The motivation was, was mostly, according to, to Graham, just to get it back into print at a decent price. Copies of the original book can go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. There's an entertaining forward by Graham, wherein he argues that despite the fantastical nature of what we're about to read, much of the underlying facts are beyond question. Well, we'll see. Now, one question I need to address, or a caveat I need to make, is this. I don't have the original 1978 version. I don't know for sure if what Graham Watkins published is accurate. 
There are some 2016 era asides, but these are clearly labeled. For our purposes, I'm going to treat this as authoritative, um, and we'll see if that ends up being a good decision or not. Oh, and there's a cover blurb that explains that it's the, quote, inspiration for Frank Jacobs' 2015 film Packing for Mars. And that confused me a little. I was familiar with Mary Roach's 2010 book, Packing for Mars, but not this 2015 film. I thought, wow, they made Mary Roach's very cool Packing for Mars book into a film. Um, Some checking tells me it was produced by some disclosure movement types and was indeed inspired by Alternative 3. The ripoff title was, I presume, a shady marketing move to glom onto a well-regarded book. But let's remember... We're not in the business of speculation. Told you that would come back. So, on to the book itself. It starts with a little piece headed, Strands in the Web. The frighteningly erratic behavior of the climate over the past few years, unidentified flying object activity at an all-time peak, the continuing pollution and despoilation of planet Earth by overpopulation and industry, the mounting incidents of unexplained disappearances of people in mysterious circumstances... Horrendous new killing techniques, including spontaneous combustion, used by government assassins against those who pose a threat to the security of an ultra-secret organization. Terrifying advances in mind control by agencies like the CIA and their use in creating a class of mindless human-robot slaves. Astounding revelations of clandestine collaboration in space between the USA and the USSR over a period of decades. Bizarre features observed on the Moon and Mars but for some reason, barely mentioned in the media. See? There. There is our flying saucers. They show up later, too. There's mentions throughout the thing. In general, the book follows the same broad strokes as the television program, but provides a great deal more detail, fleshing out things that were only hinted at. The basic story is the same. Earth is becoming uninhabitable. In response, the U.S. and the Soviet Union have colluded in a plan to move elements of humanity to Mars, using the moon as a staging point. While the television program focuses almost exclusively on the transport of scientists, the book expands on the idea of who is going to Mars and why. Professionals we have now established have been classifying people selected for the Alternative 3 operation into two categories, those who are picked as individuals and those who merely form part of a batch consignment There have been several batch consignments, and it is the treatment meted out to most of these men and women which provides the greatest cause for outrage. No matter how desperate the circumstances may be, and we reluctantly recognize that they are extremely desperate, no humane society could tolerate what has been done to the innocent and the gullible. So these batch consignments are men and women from the general human population who will serve as as a slave labor force. One of the things I like about the book is that there is a figure called Trojan. He's an Alternative 3 insider, and he's fed the author transcripts of meetings between members of the ruling committee of Americans and Russians, wherein they argue in in sort of these guarded terms about who needs to be murdered because they talk too much and other fun stuff. And they refer sort of in a cryptic fashion to these assassinations as expediencies, a very bland, bureaucratic term. The other thing I like is the inside story of the science report program's process of making the show and how one of Scepter Television Network, that's what Watkins renames Anglia TV, one of Scepter's executives kept trying to cancel the Alternative 3 episode. We'll find out later that he was an operative of Alternative 3, and he will, of course, pay with his life because that episode did make it to air. Watkins also grounds his story in things that the more conspiracy-minded among you will recognize, CIA mind control and biological experimentation. For example, these are things that had been revealed to the public during this same mid-to-late 70s period, things like MKUltra. It got a lot of play and was used as evidence that the U.S. government has no qualms about co-opting the scientific establishment for nefarious purposes. Documented Soviet psychological experimentation and punishment is used as a parallel to the CIA efforts, bolstering the claims of superpower cooperation at the heart of the narrative. Basically, 
if Leslie Watkins had not taken this alternative three and turned it into this massive conspiracy novel, somebody would have, or it would have just been added on to it, or somebody would have written a novel like this already. Because all of these things, the idea of human population explosion, ecological collapse, um, government cover-ups, these were all really coming of age in the 1970s. And so the upshot of all this in the book is that humanity is facing a coming darkness far more bleak even than the TV show presented. In the days before the American Civil War, slaves had no right to a family, no right to keep their own children, and they had no property. They were property. That horrifying philosophy we can now prove has been adopted by the space slave masters of the 70s. Space slave masters of the 70s has to be a pulp sci-fi novel somewhere. It just has to be. So another expansion in the Watkins book is an explanation of what alternatives one and two actually were, something not spelled out in the television program. Alternative one was pretty science-y. Um, basically, the Earth is heating up, let's use nuclear weapons to blast holes in the atmosphere to let the heat out into space. It was judged to be kind of dumb, but kind of science-y sounding. Alternative two was not science-y at all. There is good reason to believe that this world was once more civilized and far more scientifically advanced than it is today, said Gersten. Our really distant ancestors living millennia before what we call prehistoric man had progressed far beyond our present stage of knowledge. There is evidence, quite considerable evidence, to suggest that there were once whole cities linked by an elaborate complex of tunnels far below the surface. Remains of them have been found under many parts of the world. And in this subterranean world, so it is said, there is a green luminescence which replaces the sun as a source of energy and would make it possible for crops to be grown. Richard Shaver would like some royalties from this book, Mr. Watkins. So we have some flying saucers. We have speculation about alien civilizations. Those make appearances here and there. It's almost an, an obligatory thing given the subject matter. Oh, and another sort of difference from the television show, astronaut Bob Grodin comes to a sad end. We traced him to a mental hospital on the outskirts of Philadelphia. He was allowed no visitors, at least that's what we were told. We tried to insist on seeing him, but they were emphatic. Quite out of the question, they said. His condition was too severe, and anyway, a visit would be pointless. Grodin couldn't string together two consecutive words. His mind was completely gone. Grodin's death was reported in the newspapers in January 1978. Suicide. That's what the world was told. Grodin had knotted pajama trousers around his neck and hanged himself from a hot water pipe fixed high on the wall of his room. We have suspicions that he may have been the victim of an expediency, but without evidence, there can be no more than suspicions. But the area in which the book goes far beyond the television program the most is in its discussion of what was to be done with the batch consignments, the collections of humans to be transported into space as a labor force. In some of the leaked documents from Trojan, we see elements of the horrible truth. The policy committee briefing circulated on September 7, 1965, explained the necessity for all components to be de-sexed. One, to eliminate the possibility of them forming traditional mating relationships which could detract from the efficiency of their sole function performance. Two, to ensure components do not procreate and so haphazardly perpetuate a substandard species. Well, how would you get people to go along with this? That's where the mind control comes in. They're going to eliminate self-will and self-interest. They're going to create a race of mindless slaves. So... Some of the experts, um, the designated movers whose skills are needed to preserve humanity, they are housed on the moon at a place called Archimedes Base. It's a transit camp, which is language borrowed from the Nazis, a transit camp where people await their final transportation to Mars. So here you've got the experts and also the slaves of the batch consignments, but they were to be kept separated because... There was a fear that the experts' moral feelings would be injured by their learning the truth. The climax of the book comes when some of the 
the experts learn the truth of the treatment of the slaves and attempt to get back to Earth to expose Alternative 3. Through a series of catastrophes, Archimedes' base is destroyed, hundreds are killed, and Alternative 3's plans are set back years. The book closes with this, addressing the question of fact versus fiction. There is just one final point for us to make. On the back cover of this book, you will note one word which you may consider puzzling. Fiction. Why fiction? That's a valid question, especially in view of the fact that so much of our evidence, particularly that quoted from newspapers, was already a matter of public record. Well, we did mention that politicians tried to suppress this book, that two in Britain sought injunctions to prevent its publication, and we did explain that we were forced into a reluctant compromise. Need we say more? We're just presenting this as fiction, so they let us publish it. Wink, wink. It's fiction. Wink, wink. Nothing in here is true. Wink, wink. Except the stuff that's been publicly reported in the newspapers. Wink, wink. Can you see why people might have been willing to believe some of this? In summary, Alternative 3 by Leslie Watkins is fun. I loved it. It was... It, it's it's kind of pulpy. It's kind of it's kind of trashy. It's kind of sensationalistic. But there's enough stuff from the time from newspaper reports that it just makes you think that you know if you were to write a really good conspiracy novel, this would be the way to do it. I highly recommend it, especially now that uh, that you can get it for like sixteen bucks on Amazon. So, what was the impact and aftermath of this book? Well, conspiracy researcher and writer Jim Keith addressed the topic in a 1994 book called Alternative 3, UFOs, Secret Societies, and World Control, later republished as Casebook on Alternative 3. The book took the slightly nuanced view that while Alternative 3, the TV show and the book, might have been a hoax, the underlying ideas of environmental collapse, government cover-ups, and a plot to save the elite at the expense of the masses, these were documented facts. Documented facts being a somewhat artful term when dealing with conspiracy culture. Keith acknowledges that, quote, for the debunker, Alternative 3 is a sitting duck. Alternative 3 is a teleplay and a book which utterly lacks substantiation, and the book in particular is written in a style identical to the weekly world news of two-headed space alien gives birth to Elvis, end quote. But there are strands that are important. Things Alternative 3 brings up that Keith is able to spin off and talk about, mostly in terms of research he'd already done for other books, which is, you know, that's just working smart. Chapters like UFOs and the Secret Space Program, Missing Scientists, discussions of population control conspiracy theories that were connected with ecological concerns, general explorations of how the media may be used by governments as conduits for disinformation, theories about secret bases on the moon, batch consignments. Um, there's a lot to digest in Jim Keith's book. To be fair, though, there's a lot to digest in all of Jim Keith's books. So while Alternative 3 was a sham, the parts, so to speak, were greater than the sum, if that makes sense. Things discussed might be true. And as Keith says, quote, while perfectly secure in my knowledge that the TV show and the book are basically yellow journalism using scare tax to make a pound, I'm a little shocked to realize that at most levels, anyway, the revelations of Alternative 3 are also true. And he closes with an ominous warning. He had just finished the discussion of rejuvenation drugs being developed for humanity's elite. Is this the final vision of Alternative 3? Are we poised at the edge of the final sundering that Hitler envisioned where immortal controllers assume complete control over the bees of the hive? Is that the ultimate rationale for the Alternative 3 plan or a surrogate of it? That for the game to continue, everyone can't be a god? It is necessary that any program of world domination to achieve total control must include broad psychological mastery over populations through propaganda, drugs, television, religion, or other mind control means. Physical control, meaning hives, concentration camps, or contingency programs for same, must also be in place so that mass labor may be utilized in an economical fashion. The control group should also have military strike capabilities for both offense and defense, preferably also possessing secret technology in advance of that of rival control factors. 
Finally, plans for the preservation of the elite in the event of war, social upheaval, sudden recognition by the masses, or other catastrophes should be in place. This broad outline of controls is a repetition in almost all specifics of the details of Alternative 3. It may also be an accurate reflection of the schemes of the Shadow Masters, judging historical events and ominous current indications. Ultimately, the details hardly matter, because of the single conclusion which must be drawn. To the men who control this world and their well-paid and smiling frontmen, we are all ultimately part of a batch consignment, nothing more. And unless society is transformed from the inhuman control state that we live in, unless the history of world domination is exposed and strategies for its elimination implemented, then the human race is doomed to live out this real world of Alternative 3. I got creeped out just reading that. So this is one example of an emerging pattern of behavior and thought surrounding the Alternative 3 phenomenon. As Michael Barkin points out in his book, A Culture of Conspiracy, Apocalyptic Visions in Contemporary America, quote, even those willing to acknowledge that Alternative 3 was trumped up insisted that its core argument might very well be true, end quote. Without easy access to the film or the novel, however, would-be debunkers found it difficult to fully disprove many Alternative 3-based claims. So, beyond Jim Keith, who is, I, I'm a fanboy of Jim Keith, he's in a world sort of all his own. So, beyond Jim Keith, how did the conspiracy world react to Alternative 3? Regardless of the, the sort of surface-level hoaxy nature of it, it took on a life of its own after broadcast and publication as a lasting staple of conspiracy theories from the late 70s through today. This influence on both paranormal and parapolitical conspiracy theory culture has largely taken place in the United States. In the U.S., Alternative 3 was a half-heard tale, always tantalizingly out of reach. Removed from its close enough to April 1st origin, the ideas would be worked and reworked over the decades, becoming intertwined with huge numbers of other conspiracy theories. In many ways, uh, reflecting what Watkins did with his novelistic expansion of the television program. Beginning in the 1990s, as the book was becoming less and less available, participants in online UFO and conspiracy-oriented communities began to refer to Alternative 3 not as, a, as an established hoax which might have been based on some real-world things, but rather as a strange and mysterious, but fundamentally true, source in and of itself. One poster to a bulletin board system in a text document titled simply alt3.txt wrote, According to well-informed U.S. intelligence sources, Alternative 3 is a plan to colonize the planet Mars with a cross-section of persons from all major areas of human knowledge and culture. This project has been ongoing and under development for many years. The public discussion of a manned mission to Mars distracts from claims of well-placed sources that we've already had manned missions to Mars. Is the foregoing all true? I don't know. I wasn't there. But the people who do know are now speaking up, because what you are reading is most likely just the tip of the iceberg of what is really going on with our manned missions and our presence in space. Well-informed U.S. intelligence sources. Who? Who cares? It sounds good. And it sounds ominous. And heck, there's a book, right? If there's a book, it must be true. One of the most significant aspects of Alternative 3 is the manner in which a wide variety of theorists, writers, and commenters would co-opt various aspects of the show and bend it to their own particular theories, preconceived notions, and biases. This poster that we just heard focused on the aspects of Alternative 3 which verified his or her ideas about secret space programs. Our old pal Bill Cooper wrote the following concerning Alternative 3 in his 1991 book, Behold a Pale Horse. All three alternatives included birth control, sterilization, and the introduction of deadly microbes to control or slow the growth of Earth's population. AIDS is only one result of these plans. It was decided by the elite that since the population must be reduced and controlled, it would be in the best interest of the human race to rid ourselves of undesirable elements of our society. Specifically targeted populations included blacks, Hispanics, and homosexuals. Ladies and gentlemen, the television version, the print version of Alternative 3 did not cover any plans to eliminate unwanted members of humanity. Unwanted members of humanity, as Cooper describes, 
if there were if there were unwanted members of humanity, they would have been taken to Mars as slaves. I get the impression Bill Cooper didn't actually read Alternative 3. I get the impression Bill Cooper didn't read a lot of stuff, actually. But, again, who cares? In the relative absence of anything against which readers could check these claims, Cooper and others could use Alternative 3 to support nearly any assertion they wanted to make. AIDS is the responsibility of the elite to eliminate undesirable parts of the population. Wow, where'd you hear that? Well, it's part of Alternative 3, man. It's all in Alternative 3. No. No, it's not. Anyway, as the documentary was not available in the United States, at least through any mass distribution channels, until the early 2000s, many of the claims about Alternative 3 were based on the novel. Although there were pirated VHS copies circulating, Bill Cooper sold a very poor quality one, and I've actually got a copy of that in my collection, thanks to friend of the show, Adam Go Rightly. The video quality is about what you'd expect from a pirated VHS tape. And the book was a difficult to obtain in the States, leading longtime UFO writer, publicist, and hoaxer Gray Barker to claim, rather extravagantly, that it had been banned from sale in the United States. May Russell, a prominent conspiracy theorist, newsletter publisher, and radio broadcaster in the 70s and 80s, had a radio show that I have not been able to find a copy of. I found a bunch of her other shows, but not this one. She claimed on the air that Alternative 3, after she read it, quote, made her, made her, quote, nauseous, and I wanted to vomit, and I wanted to faint. I wanted to cry. I wanted to bang the walls down. I literally had the shakes for about a week. It was so scary because it could just be the bottom line of these conspiracies. I believe it probably is the most important book I've read in many, many years. I don't have any doubt in my mind that this is a very dangerous document to have. Probably the most dangerous thing which I possess in my library at this point. End quote. Now, May Brussel was no slouch. She was was one of the the key prominent JFK assassination investigators of the 1970s and 1980s and and, and was a, a, a scrupulous researcher. But she seems to have bought into this hook, line, and sinker. That's what I thought when I'd read the May Brussel quotation before I'd gotten my hands on a copy of the Alternative 3 book. Because the book, much more than the TV show, which I'd seen several years ago, the book lays things out with such detail with regard to things that had already been uncovered and documented that it's very chilling. We'd seen pieces of assassinations. We'd seen threats of ecological disaster. We'd seen new weapons. We'd seen government experimentation. But now we see all of these things together in one master narrative. And I can see how it could be kind of frightening. On message boards and websites, mentions of Alternative 3, even today, spark a firestorm of debate over its truth or falsehood. So what did Leslie Watkins have to say about all this? In the late 80s, he wrote a letter to the owner of the Windwards bookstore, and it surfaced on various bulletin board systems. Apparently, Penguin Books had the book Alternative 3, listed in its non-fiction catalog by mistake. Watkins' agent insisted it was fiction. Watkins' attempt to clarify this led to continued speculation that, that the book was, in fact, meant to be released as non-fiction, but, but faked as fiction at the last minute as a cover-up. But then Watkins, in this letter, gets kind of goofy and, and says that it was based on fact, but uses, but quote, uses that fact as a launch pad for a high dive into fiction, end quote. So it's like, well, it's fiction. Well, but there's fact in it, but the fact informed the fiction and it's fiction, but there is a lot of fact in it. And that's the narrative that, that kind of keeps going. And, and Watkins, uh, Watkins is, is, a, is a canny guy and would... Later, in a newspaper article in, I think, I think in New Zealand, where he had moved to, was sort of complaining about how people were, were blaming him for starting panics and things. 
he talks about how he did have a lot of evidence that that many more of the things were real than anybody knew about, but that that evidence mysteriously vanished when he moved to New Zealand. So his plan to write a sequel to Alternative 3, where he explained exactly what was fact and exactly what was fiction, never panned out, which is just a great way to just keep drumming up interest while making other people increasingly paranoid. So, a final complication and some points of confusion. As I said, the video was very rare, and if anything, the book was at times even more difficult to come by. There were text files of questionable transcriptions um, for a long time, even back in the days when pirating books meant retyping the text like some kind of digital monk. In 2010, however, an anonymous editor released onto the internet a PDF of Alternative 3 uh, published supposedly by Archimedes Press, with offices in Nantich in the UK, as well as in Bremen, Germany. No such company seems to actually exist, and I assume their name is a reference to the Archimedes base in the book. This edition has a new foreword by the anonymous editor, and is released under a Creative Commons license rather than a copyright. But the language isn't the standard Creative Commons language. Listen to this. The editor has made the digital version of this work available under a Creative Commons license. You are welcome to share it with your friends until served with an injunction. The digital version may be reproduced, copied, and distributed for non-commercial purposes. Now, folks, I've done a lot of work with Creative Commons stuff, and free welcome to share it with your friends until served with an injunction is not how it works. The editor does not seem to have a very high opinion of the book itself and sees it as a solid bit of disinformation. Watkins Alternative 3 is a bona fide diversion, as is the original Anglia television hoax. Its aims are suspect, as it has been permitted a life that better books have been denied. It has assumed an undeserved aura, especially as so many calculated deceptions lurk in the details. So how is one to read Alternative 3? Carefully. The heavy employment of misinformation should be dealt with expeditiously. Herein, you will find a unique edition of Alternative 3 that has been edited of overt misinformation. While a large percentage of disinformation has been preserved, albeit in a form that aims to reconstitute the little truths that have previously been undermined by contrivance. There is nothing admirable about state secrets. They are kept in an effort to conceal professional failures and more often an effort to armor the impotent. Witting or not, disinformers are the tools of those that would keep and reinforce secrets, that would divide by virtue of confusion. Leslie Watkins is one such tool. The editor claims that Watkins is actually a pseudonym of David Ambrose, who was the screenwriter of the television version of Alternative 3 and an established author. I've not found any evidence to support this, and if anyone has any, let me know. In fact, Watkins, in his 2016 version, referred to this claim specifically and denied it. Honestly, David Ambrose is an award-winning novelist and screenwriter who acknowledges his work on Alternative 3, and I'm not sure of the value to him of perpetuating a hoax wherein he invents Leslie Watkins, publishes several books as Watkins before Alternative 3 appears, then maintains the hoax to this very day, inventing a son to publish a copy of Alternative 3 that you can read for free if you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber. I I really do think it's two separate guys. But in case you missed it, I want to reiterate this part of what the anonymous editor wrote. Quote, Herein, you will find a unique edition of Alternative 3 that has been edited of overt misinformation, end quote. This is not really Watkins' book. And comparing this edition with the Watkins' book that is for sale on Amazon reveals the following. There are rewordings and edits that seem to exist for no reason, um, other than as an ill-thought-out legal dodge against accusations of copyright violation. Paragraphs say basically the same thing, but are rewritten. In most cases, they are made worse. Also, there's things missing, lots of things missing. The comparison to American slavery we heard isn't in there. Professor Gersten, who explained Alternatives 1, 2, and 3, he's not in there. Alternatives 1 and 2 are completely different in 
this Archimedes press version. And it's about repairing the magnetic field of the earth. Nothing about subterranean caves, nothing in there about the Archimedes base uprising. There's other chunks of narrative put in that sort of get to the same conclusion, but it's like the guy wanted to write a book like alternative three, but somebody had already beaten him to it. It's not the same book. It swipes significant chunks, but it's not Alternative 3. There's a bunch of appendices. Uh, there's an article clearly described as, quote, reproduced without permission. Um, there's uh, a list of missing microbiologists who had died under mysterious circumstances, which was compiled by conspiracy theorist Steve Quayle. It's a mess. Um, you can get the real thing, or as close to the real thing as you can get on Amazon pretty cheap. I advise you to do that. In closing, as fuel for the conspiratorial fire, here's a quotation from a recent piece by astronaut Buzz Aldrin. Quote, the United States' eyes and our unified commitment should focus on opening the door in our time to the great migration of humankind to Mars. Books aplenty have been written about how to do this, and they have inspired government and non-government leaders to make lofty plans. But plans without a detailed architecture and without a next step into the future are just fantasy. What does Buzz Aldrin know? What does he know? Whew. Thank you uh, for sticking with me through that, if you have. You do not know how long it took me to structure and restructure and rewrite this thing to make it make the amount of sense that it did, which I admit wasn't a lot, but um, Wednesday release day was coming and I had to get this done. So um, maybe somewhere down the line, there's going to be a tighter, more um, concise version of this, but thanks for sticking with me. In the show notes, there's a link to the Alternative 3 video program. It's available secondhand and, and online. I highly recommend Jim Keith's book on the subject, as well, of course, as the recent republication of uh, Leslie Watkins's book. I absolutely do not recommend the Archimedes Press freebie stolen made-up version of Alternative 3 unless you want to do some comparison. Um, and if somebody is able to extract the text from the Kindle version of the Leslie Watkins version and do a sort of automated comparison of the two, um, you need to find better ways to spend your time. Next time, we set the Wayback Machine to 1973 because it was the Year of the Humanoids. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at saucerlife.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife or email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Saucer Life wherever you find podcasts. The Saucer Life Encounter 54 is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you.